0: Hi, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm super excited uh, to get to be here this morning with you. One of the reasons why I'm so excited is because today is the first Sunday of the month, and typically on the first Sunday of the month, what we do is we invite our elementary school age kiddos to stay in here and worship with us. Uh, So kiddos, I'm super glad you're here. Um, You guys can applaud for them. Let's applaud for them. (laughs) So with that in mind... I thought that we would do something a little bit different, knowing that we have some elementary school age kids in the room. Now, if you've been in the elementary school program the last month, you know that we've been making some changes. There's a little bit of new energy and some new vitality in there, uh, which has been really fun. And so I thought I would bring a little bit of that in here so that we could share it with the entire congregation. Does that sound fair? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. So let me ask you this. What is the most valuable thing that you own? Most valuable thing you own wow, you guys are all like silently thinking. Baby, you're like tallying it up in your head. You're like, okay, my house is like 1.4 million, but then my beach house is like 1. maybe 4.2. Like, okay, so what's the most valuable thing you own? I, I most definitely don't have a beach house. Oh, wait, what did I hear? Your Mustang. Have you guys seen Elizabeth's Mustang? It is amazing. It's, it's vintage. Uh, it was your father's, right? So it's like valuable for like, you know, car history, but also uh, family history. Yeah, less. Your wife's diamond ring. Good answer. Other things. What's the most valuable thing to you? What's the most valuable thing you own? Yes. My credit card. Your credit card. <laughs> Amen. Can't go anywhere without that credit card Nico. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Other valuable things. Let's hear from a kid, another kid. Not not to put you guys on the spot. Something valuable that you guys own? The Bible. Logan coming in with the answer. Logan, that just makes my heart so happy to hear you say that. And that's the truth, right, is that God's word is the most valuable thing, one of the most valuable things that we could possibly have. And something doesn't have to cost a lot of money uh, to be valuable, right? Now, I have some fancy Bibles, but I mean, they're nothing like a diamond ring or a Mustang, uh, but you can, get, you can get Bibles right under your chairs today. If you don't have a Bible at home, grab the Bible under your chair, bring that home. Um, some other valuable things to you might be a family picture or a letter uh, from someone that you love. It might not be worth lots of money, but that doesn't mean that it's not important to you. So over the last few weeks in the Sunday school, we have been learning about idolatry. In fact, our big question this last month has been, what is idolatry? And so every week we've been asking that question and we learned that idolatry is what? Anybody feel like they know what idolatry is? Oh, Sadie knows. Loving something more than God. Awesome. Yeah. So idolatry, it's a sin of the heart in which we love and value something else above God. And that that becomes kind of scary because it's not just like a little tiki idol, right? It's not just a statue. It can be anything that we love more than God. So we might value video games more than God. We might value sports. We might value books, toys, or money more than we love God. There are lots of things that can command our love. And it's important to remember that while none of those things are bad, like sports are fun, I hear, Um, it's important that we love God first. So our story today, then, is a reminder that idolatry is a sin. But it's also a reminder that God is faithful to forgive us. And isn't that powerful as we're facing the sin of idolatry, this temptation to love things before God? Isn't it powerful to know that God forgives us? This is something that we want our children to understand. We want them to know that God will bring us back to him, and he's going to help us love him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. So one of the things that we've been using in the Sunday school classes, we have these fun videos that are helping teach us the Bible stories. So I thought I would share with you uh, the story we have for today.
1: Isaiah was a prophet who lived long ago, more than 700 years before Jesus was born, in the time when Israel was ruled by kings. God had chosen Isaiah to take God's message to his people, the Israelites. The name Isaiah means, the Lord saves. God used Isaiah to tell his people a very important
2: message. This was the word of the Lord, the message from God, that Isaiah the prophet spoke to the descendants of Jacob. Isaiah said, listen Israel, This is what the Lord, the King of Israel says. I am the first and the last, the one true God. Can anyone else say what will happen in the future? No, do not be surprised or afraid. I told you this long ago, there is no God but me.
1: Everyone who makes idols wastes their time. They look to their idols for help, but no help comes. Their idols are worthless, those people will be ashamed of their idolatry.
2: The iron worker labors over coals, shaping an idol with hammers. As he works, he gets hungry, thirsty, and tired. The woodworker measures and chisels wood. He uses a compass to make an idol in a form he thinks up on his own. People look to idols for salvation, but iron and wood cannot save.
1: Remember these things, people of Israel. I will never forget about you. Do not worship created things. I, your creator, have swept away your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Rejoice. This is what I've done for you. Sing and shout for the Lord, the one true God, is glorified through you.
2: God alone is worthy of our worship. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross and save us from our sins. We can turn from our idolatry and evil ways to rejoice in the God who saves.
0: One of the things that I love is every week we're taking the passages, uh, particularly passages from the Old Testament, and we are connecting them to Jesus. Everything connects to Jesus. The entire Bible is about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus will save us from our sins. He'll save us. He'll rescue us from our idolatry. Okay, I need a volunteer to come on up. Logan, you want to come on up? You had, you had such a great answer earlier. We're gonna have Logan come on up. Okay, Logan, I want you, come stand beside me. Okay, Logan, I'm gonna give you options and I just want you to pick, okay? We're gonna see if you can pick the better choice. Are you ready? Okay, so what if we gave you a brand new bike, like a really cool brand new bike? Or what if we offered you a family trip for a week in Disneyland? Which would you take? Oh, you you take Disneyland? Okay, that, that wasn't really hard. Okay. Okay, uh, good choice. I would, I would pick Disneyland every day. Uh, so let's, let's do this. What about camping in the backyard or hiking in the mountains overlooking a beautiful lake? Oh, hiking in the mountains, okay. Uh, good choice, good choice. What about this? What if we gave you a fancy telescope or what if we gave you a trip in a rocket to the moon? Which would you take? You, you would take, what? It
1: lasts. The trip
0: to the moon doesn't last. Oh, you, okay, you would take the, the telescope. Uh, I would also take the trip to the telescope because a moon trip just sounds scary. Okay, thank you, Logan. <laughs> so, good choices, right? The first options, they're all good things, right? Bikes are great. Camping in the backyard's fun. Telescopes are interesting. Uh, But the second options they're they're generally better. Maybe not that moon trip, Uh, right? We'd all rather go to Disneyland. We'd all rather go on a hike um, around a beautiful lake in the mountains. So let's think back to our story. What were the people in Judah doing that God wasn't happy about? What were the people doing in Judah that God wasn't happy about? They were worshiping idols, ding, ding, ding. I don't know who said that, but you're right. So the people were worshiping statues that they had made with their own hands, which is just really silly. And we might hear this story and think, that's ridiculous, I would never worship a statue. But remember, idolatry isn't just worshiping a statue. It means loving something more than God. God has blessed us with gifts like sports and spending time with friends, toys. But those good things can become idols when we love them more than God. God loves us so much that he wants what's best for us. And what's best for us is him. Jesus is what's best for us. God wants us to love him more than anything. He wants us to worship him alone. He wants us to spend time getting to know him through prayer and reading our Bibles. He wants to show his presence and his power in our lives. And when we love other things more than we love God, we're actually robbing ourselves of experiencing God's power and presence in our life. Parents, our ministry is designed to be a partnership with you. It's not designed for your kids to come and, I don't know, be dropped off like at a dry cleaner where, you know, you pick them up in a day, oh, not a day, like an hour, please. Um, and, and they're like nice and clean and like, you know, holy, <laughs> that's not the goal. We're partners. And so our hope is, is that we can partner with you. And one of the ways that we want to partner with you is we provide parent resources and to be honest the parent resource list is a little long um, if you are super about, maybe if you're a homeschool family you can do all those things you can come up with your own that's awesome but if you're a parent who's just looking for like one place to start i would just encourage you to review that christ connection on the parent resource sheet with your with your child remember the big picture of that story and how it points to jesus and let that just be an encouragement to you this week i'm going to pray and then we're going to spend a little bit more time worshiping because we are supposed to worship god alone um, and then we'll uh, continue on with our worship service. Okay. I don't know about you, but I love a really good superhero movie. Do you guys like watching superhero movies? Okay. I'm seeing, I'm seeing some like enthusiastic hands raised. I am seeing somebody shaking their head enthusiastically. No. Okay. I, I, I'm praying for you because superhero movies, they are so fun. Not, not that you have to like him. Um, my wife and I, we make every Marvel Cinematic Universe release, unless, you know, I'm sick with COVID, uh, we make that a date night. We have to see it as soon as possible because we don't want anybody to spoil it for us. How many of you guys have ever had a movie spoiled for you? Yeah, it does not feel good. That's, like, that's a pretty deep betrayal to like <laughs> find out what happens too soon. And we're sharing the love with my kids. Luckily, Disney, being you know the multi-billion-dollar empire that they are, they are now taking superhero characters and making preschool-age shows for them. So there's this really cute Spider-Man show with, I don't know, two different Spideys, actually three different Spideys, because there's a girl Spidey too. And uh, my son loves Super uh, Spider-Man. He will dress as Spider-Man. I think I've shown a picture of him here before. And his sister, we don't have a Spider-Man costume for her, so she created her own Butterfly Girl costume that's pretty adorable as well, and they will run around and they will play superheroes. Now, one of the things that I love about the MCU is that it all builds together, right? It's one giant story. It's all building towards something. So it begins with this guy, Iron Man, right? And then we get the Hulk. Not that anybody remembers his first movie. Uh, Then we get... Thor. Okay, I'm hearing some applause for Thor. He's, he's a fan favorite. And then, of course, Captain America. Captain America, America! Okay. America. So these characters, they're larger than life, right? Like, in each of their individual movies, we just see them overcoming tremendous challenges. Like, they are like one-man superheroes. And after the first five movies featuring these characters, um, we see them as individuals... We see Iron Man take down the Ten Rings. We see the Hulk face off with um, um, abomination. Uh, we see Thor go toe-to-toe with Loki. And we see Captain America whoop a bunch of Nazis and the Red Skull. Like, come on, like, these are epic villain showdowns and each of these guys are just taking them on one by one. And then after these first five movies, we get the first Avenger movie, right? And it's spectacular. Like how many of you guys remember watching the Avengers in theaters for the first time? It was just awesome. Am I the only one who's just like, wow, like they're all together. This is amazing. Now, when we're reading the Bible, one of the heroes of the Bible is clearly Paul, Right. Like, when we read the Bible, Paul just jumps off of the page, and he is just amazing. We can picture him, like, circling the Mediterranean like a superhero. He's surviving shipwrecks and imprisonments, stonings. Like, you, just, you can throw anything you want at this guy, and he just, he's going to keep being victorious. And all the while, he's planting churches, and he's spreading the gospel. Like, superhero Paul, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I would kind of like a ministry like Paul. Right? Like, I would love to be a part of planting hundreds of churches. I would love to be a part of thousands of people coming to faith, coming to know the Lord Jesus. A lot of the times I think today, modern American Christians, we long for there to be a superhero to come back and save the church, right? We're longing for superhero Paul to show up. Some of us might remember this guy. He was kind of a superhero. Do you guys know who this is? Billy Graham, yeah. So, Billy Graham had this amazing ministry. He died a few years ago, uh, but for decades, decades and decades and decades, he ran an ev- uh, evangelistic ministry. And he would go and he would go to like giant sports arenas and stadiums and he would have people invite their friends and he would fill up stadiums like how many of you guys have been to the shark tank yeah okay a lot of us have been to the shark tank so when i was in middle school he showed up to san jose and he had people come to the shark tank i think over like four or five nights and he would just fill it up each time it was just pretty amazing and over the course of his ministry it's estimated that 3.2 million people came to faith because of him Because of him like lord we need more people like billy graham right so when he came to san jose i was a brand new christian and one of his nights of doing um an evangelistic message in a sports stadium it was specifically for youth it was for people like in junior high and high school and at the time i remember hearing a sermon and to be honest he was kind of boring just just my two cents he was kind of boring I was, I was pretty bored. But what wasn't boring was at the end of this boring message, seeing thousands of people come down. Like, when you were, would respond to a Billy Graham like, call, you would go down and you would stand like where the shark ice was. Luckily, it wasn't ice, because uh, everybody would be like slipping and sliding around. But we would all come down, and there were people there who were prayer counselors who would pray with the people who were professing faith in the Lord for the first time. And it was... An amazing experience to just see the arena empty out all onto the floor all these people professing christ and i had the opportunity to be a prayer counselor i was a brand new christian i was like in eighth grade uh and i had that opportunity to be a prayer counselor and i got to pray with another student in middle school who had just accepted christ for the very first time it was amazing There is nothing as fantastic in life as being with someone when they profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the first time. It's one of my favorite parts of youth ministry. And Billy Graham got to do this all the time. 3.2 million people led to the Lord. Wouldn't it be cool to be Billy Graham? Isn't that what the world needs? Another superhero? We need somebody who can swoop in with the evangelical superpower, dodging stones and imprisonment, planting churches, sharing the gospel. But here's the flaw in my thinking. Billy Graham wasn't an individual lone ranger superhero. Right? Billy Graham had a large ministry team and many, many ministry partners other people like me who are serving as prayer counselors he would partner with churches and pastors and there are just thousands of people who are involved in this ministry in one way or another and if we think that billy graham did it on his own we're super mistaken we'd be mistaken if we think that paul does it on his own too paul's not this lone superhero roaming around the Mediterranean. A scholar went through the New Testament and he tallied all the names of ministry partners of Paul that he found there. All the friends who joined Paul on his mission. And the count is just about 100 names. That's about as many of us are in this room today, including the people who are joining us online. So like Paul's friends, who are instrumental to Paul's work, or the people who would partner with Billy Graham who are instrumental in his work, you all here are instrumental to the ministry of this church, of what God wants to do in our neighborhood, in our community. Paul, Billy Graham, they're just one member of a larger team that God's using to establish the church, his kingdom, and his glory. So today, as we close uh, this, uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, something that we've been studying all fall, and of course the first letter we studied last fall, Paul's going to show us his love and appreciation for his partners in ministry. And you and I are going to be challenged by what we see here. Uh, We're going to be challenged not to do this Christian life on our own. We're going to be challenged to join in on the mission that God has for for you, for this church. I'm really excited um, about what Paul has here in the close. And I'll confess, when I first read these verses, knowing that uh, David asked for me to preach on them this morning, I was a little bit like Like, you're giving me the list of, like, names at the end of the letter? Like, like these are just greetings, right? Like, like, this is where Paul says, like, hey, send my love to Priscilla, and, like, tell Joe what's up. <laughs> and, and it was a terrible, sinful thought of mine, because when I came to these words, there's so much in here. So much in here. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, all Scripture is God-breathed worthy of teaching. And Lord, what you have for us today in your word here, um, it's a powerful challenge and a powerful reminder. So I just ask that you would make these words come to life, um, that they would stir in our hearts, and that we might not just be people who hear these words, but that we might be people who live out the encouragement, the challenge, the warning of these words, that you might be glorified. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to begin in verse 9 of chapter 4. So, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 9 and Paul says this, "Do your best to come to me soon." Paul's writing to Timothy, it's his true son in the faith. Uh, it's his protege, it's somebody who he loves. He's writing from a prison cell in Rome. Okay? This is the end of Paul. Like he has survived a lot, but but he is he's on his way out, uh, almost for sure. And so We have Paul writing from his prison, and he's asking his friend Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. Like, time is urgent. There's an urgency here that Paul's communicating. You'll remember that our series, it's called um, 4,000 Hours to Live. And the idea of this is that Paul's writing with just like a few months left to live, about 4,000 hours. So how are you going to live in your final moments? And this end of chapter 4, it really echoes this it echoes this. We're going to see in here how to live well, how to serve well, how to end well for the glory of God. So when we read the words of Paul in the Bible, a couple things are clear right away. First thing that's really clear is that Paul has a tremendous assurance of eternal life. Like, right? Like Paul knows where he's going one way or another. Like eventually he's going to be in heaven with the Lord. Amen? Yeah. Okay. The other thing that Paul is super clear on is that God is sovereign. He's totally confident that Jesus is in control of everything. He knows that God is sovereign. He knows that God is good. And he knows that God is going to be victorious. Amen? But just as deeply as Paul believes this, it doesn't make Paul's loneliness sitting in a jail cell any less hard. You can know these things about God and still struggle. Paul needs friends. How many of you need friends? Yeah? A lot of us need friends. Study after study shows that we're designed to be in community. Like, we are not to be lone rangers. We're not to go it alone. We're not particularly good alone. Paul needs his Christian brothers and sisters to encourage him, to pray with him, and to help meet practical needs. So as believers, Paul and God tells us over and over again that we are to encourage one another. Like, that's what we're to do here. I loved that Lucas, during worship, he just shared about what this last year has been for him, Um, as his parents have had some health struggles. I love like that moment of vulnerability. Uh, One, that he would encourage us with the Lord's faithfulness that he's seen, but also that that gives us an opportunity to minister to him. That's our ministry to each other, brothers and sisters. We're to encourage one another. We're to build each other up. When we're at our lowest, our Christian brothers and sisters are called to be there for us. When my father had a stroke, Um, and then when I went through cancer, when Tracy and I went through infertility, in those seasons, I just felt terribly alone. Think of a time where you felt terribly alone, where life circumstances were just really hard. How did the Lord show up? How are you encouraged? I can't tell you how important it was for me the encouragement that I received from my church families. Like the prayers, the kind words, the meals, the groceries, they offered so much hope. It was no little thing to have people reach out and love on me in those seasons. Those people were superheroes in my life. They were a glimpse of the love and faithfulness of God. They were life-giving, life-restoring. Think of the people that God has used in your life to encourage you in your lowest moments. Right now, my mother, uh, she has a small health issue. And one of the best things that I did was a few weeks ago, I shared a prayer request on Slack. Uh, Slack is a digital communication tool that we use here as a church. Um, It has different channels for different purposes. And one of those channels is dedicated to prayer requests. So I just wrote a couple of sentences and I threw it out there on Slack and I asked for prayer. If you're not on Slack, I would really encourage you to get on Slack uh, because it is such an encouragement to be able to pray for others It is a comfort to know that when you share a prayer request, people are praying for you. So that is one way that you can be involved in the ministry of this church, is you can hop on Slack and do ministry shoulder to shoulder with people. Another thing, if you're not on Slack or if you're just looking for other ways to serve, join a community group. Love on people in a community group. Rub shoulders with them. When they share needs, pray for them, serve them. One of the things that has just been so inspiring to me in this season is in Lena and Ted uh, Ballard's um, group is just watching the way that they love different people so well, the way that they serve. You don't even have to be in a community group to love others and serve well in this church. Today, after our service, we're gonna gather out front for a time of fellowship with people from this service and then those who are coming for the Spanish service. Spend some time getting to know each other. If you have something going on in your heart, share it. Share it like Lucas did, share it like Paul does in this letter. Invite people to pray for you and love on you. And if you are blessed with somebody coming and being honest with you about a struggle in your life or in their life, take the time to encourage them and pray for them. God's using you in what might feel like a really small way, but it can be transforming for somebody else. It was August just before I started the fourth grade when my father had his stroke. And that was a really lonely time in my life. Who's, who here is in fourth grade? Anybody in fourth grade right now? Haley, you're, you're a few years past fourth grade. Not as, not as many years as I'm past uh, fourth grade. Okay, I see, I see a hand raised. Okay, so I was your age. And being in fourth grade is a little hard, right? Like we can all think back to like middle school and then those years leading up into middle school and it, it can be a little bit of a challenge, right? But for me, having had my dad go through this stroke, it was, it was really heartbreaking. And it was really lonely because, at least in my memory, I was the only kid who ever had a parent like, with a serious health issue. Like, I, I lived in a pretty blessed community where things felt pretty easy, and suddenly there was this really hard, impossible thing that seemed to only be impacting me. And just because of the way life works out, all of my friends, they, they turned against me. And I, and I kind of get it. Like I was hurting. I was like one giant festering, like like messy, I don't know, oozy, like, <laughs> wound. And fourth grade kids probably aren't the best to minister uh, in situations that were quite as dire, dire as mine, though you can do it, I believe in you. Uh, and so these boys, they, they turned on me. And these boys weren't just boys, they were my friends. They were my Little League teammates, they were my Cub Scout den members. And I remember one of these boys who, who wasn't really bullying me, uh, I invited him over to my house. And he told me that he couldn't come to my house because being around sick people made him uncomfortable. And I get it. He was a kid. My father's disability is hard. But that hurt. I felt really alone. And it hurt partly because it was just so unexpected. Like this boy, out of all the boys, was like a brother. His family lived around the corner from me. We have the same name. Felt a little bit like when Loki betrayed Thor. Sometimes the people who are supposed to be there for us, they aren't. One of the things I love about scripture is that scripture is just so honest. There's so much truth in here. And here we see in verse 10 that Paul understands this kind of betrayal as well. He's sitting in jail, and this is one of the things that he writes to Timothy. He says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So, Paul, a church planting, gospel sharing superhero, has been betrayed. He understands what it is to be hurt. He's not just betrayed by anyone. This isn't just some random dude. This is a partner in ministry. This is somebody who he served along with. He's mentioned in both uh, Colossians and Philemon. This is when Steve Rogers, Captain America, betrays Tony Stark moment, right? Like this is like one of those like gut-wrenching, like how could you do this to me moments. They were partners, they were on the same side, and now everyone is going their own way. Do you know what Demas? Have you ever felt betrayed in your life? Maybe in your life in the church? Demas here is likely ashamed of Paul's chains. It's really easy to follow somebody when they're a superhero, right? It's a lot harder to follow them when they're imprisoned and going to die. Demas is probably fearful of facing the same fate. Like, I don't really want to end up in chains. Demas is a coward. But worse than just being a coward, his loves are wrong. Demas loves the world. That's what Paul says. He loves the world as it is, which means sin and all. Like, when Demas looks at the world, his heart isn't breaking for the world. He's wanting to join the world. He's enjoying the comfort of being alive. He's enjoying the worldly pleasures. He's pursuing the world. And we're we're to contrast this with our God that loves the world by rescuing it, by giving of himself. Demas seeks out himself, he's selfish, where Jesus will give of himself. And Demas is actually more concerning than just someone who just outright rejects the gospel and leaves the faith. Like, That is heartbreaking when somebody just rejects the gospel and leaves the faith. But Demas here isn't described like the prodigal son who runs out and is just living a debaucherous life. Like he's not going out and spending all of his money and living recklessly. That's not what we're seeing here in the scripture. What the text actually says is that he's gone to uh, Thessalonica. So he is going to another city and this city... There's a big church there. There's a lot of Christians there. There's there's a ministry there. And Paul calls it a betrayal. Demas is probably just a man who has wussed out. Things got hard, and so he left for greener pastures, for an easier ministry. Things got rough, and because his love of the world is greater than his love of the gospel, he bails on Paul and bails on what God is doing in Rome. Demas is half-hearted in his pursuit of the gospel. He has a divided heart. Demas was on a mission with Paul until it hurt too much, cost too much, and then the real love of his life, his love of comfort, his love of the world causes him to leave and bail. And this is devastating for Paul. It's the people who love us the most who can hurt us the worst. Amen? Amen right? Like our friends and our family, when they hurt us, that's a hurt that's way deeper than when other people hurt us. I've been in ministry now for two decades, and I can tell you that it hurts when people wander away from their faith. But it particularly hurts when those who leave were passionate partners in the ministry. Those who I had such a love for so many dreams and hopes for people who I served with on mission trips who are like instrumental parts of, of the ministry that Tracy and I have been a part of now for, for years and years and years. When they leave. When they decide that the world is worth pursuing. That's a real punch in the gut. How many of you know somebody who has left the faith? Demas is a warning for us. We must not be half-hearted in our love for God, for his gospel, for his glory. When we have a divided heart, when we're not all in, we're prone to bailing when the going gets tough. Demas stands in contrast to Paul. That's what God's doing here in this letter. Demas stands in contrast to Paul and all other faithful believers. This misdirected love is a theme of the letter that we've seen come up over and over again. In fact, uh, in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, Paul writes, warning about the difficulty in the last days when people would show that they are lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than loving God. Like Paul and Demas, we've been given a mission and we have to guard our hearts so that we can live like Paul, seeking to bring about God's kingdom rather than allowing our hearts to be divided and for us to fall prey to idols like wealth, power, and pleasure. I said, we've been talking about idolatry in Sunday school, right? What is idolatry? Idolatry is a sin of the heart in which we love and value something else above God. Demas has an idolatrous heart. He has an idolatrous heart. And one of my theological heroes, John Calvin, he describes the human heart as an idol factory. Our heart is prone to creating idols. That's what it's good at. We will turn anything into an idol. And we need to guard our heart. We need to guard our heart. And that's not something that we do on our own. That's one of the reasons why God has given us the church. It's one of the reasons why we're all here this morning so that we can rub shoulders with each other and be encouraged by each other to keep our hearts after the one and only thing that matters, Jesus. Verse 10 continues. It says, uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to my ministry. Titus I have sent to Ephesus. So, He's been betrayed. And then there's these other guys. These other guys, they they haven't seemed to betray him in the text. They've actually gone to other areas. They're doing ministry. We don't actually know anything about Crescens. This is the only mention of him in scripture. But Titus, of course, we know from the letter to Titus. He's an other leader. He's somebody else that Paul has mentored. And so Paul, in his jail cell loneliness, in the midst of all of his suffering, in the midst of his betrayal. He sent out these other men to continue his ministry efforts around the Mediterranean. Like, Paul's not just focused on his own human suffering. He's focused on, like, what God's doing out there, what opportunities there are out there. Now, he has his friend Luke with him, and he's calling for additional friends to come. He's calling for Timothy, but he's also calling for Mark. Now, Mark here offers me great encouragement, like, a tremendous encouragement. Amount of encouragement. He offers me hope and comfort in a world full of Demas's who will betray us. In the aftermath of Demas's betrayal, Paul called for Mark, who once he kicked off of the mission field with him. Right? Do you guys remember the story? Barnabas, a close partner of Paul, he wanted Mark to come along with him on this missionary journey, but Paul was like, uh uh-uh, uh, that dude, he deserted us once before. I don't want to bring him with us again. And this was a major fight between Paul and his beloved friend Barnabas. And what ended up happening is they ended up splitting. They went their own ways. Barnabas and Mark went off in one direction. Paul got this dude named Silas. They went off in another direction. And so Paul's second missionary journey doesn't include Barnabas, his beloved friend, because he couldn't handle having Mark the deserter on that trip. You guys ever had a friend who like wanted to rejoin you and you were like, no, like you betrayed me. I'm not a fool. But Mark, Mark's mistake was overcome. Barnabas is known as an encourager. That's his ministry. His name means son of encouragement. And apparently under Barnabas's ministry of encouragement, Mark proves to become a worthy minister. And Paul sees Mark now as a good friend and a trusted leader. And so he's calling to him. He's saying, like, bring Mark. Like, I need Mark here. I need Mark here to encourage me while I sit in this jail cell. But I also need Mark here because there's ministry opportunities in Rome that I want him to be a part of. Like that's awesome. He went from keep Mark like out of the picture. I don't want to work with him anymore, to I need Mark. I need Mark. So you might be sitting here and you might be feeling like you've let down a friend. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, gosh, I have let down the church. I have wasted so many years having a divided heart where God hasn't had the opportunity to use me because I was pursuing the wrong things. Maybe you're sitting here and you're beating yourself up because you're like, gosh, I have just abandoned you, God, and I'm I'm a Christian in name only. I just show up, I'm just a pew, pew dweller. But there's hope for you. There's hope for you. It's never too late to repent of a divided heart. It's never too late for you to pursue Jesus with all you have. People can change. That's what we see here in this passage. People can change through the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the church. People can change. We need to allow people to grow. We need to allow people to make better decisions. We need to invest and encourage people who would walk away from the faith and to invite them back in. We need to pursue them the way Barnabas pursued Mark. In one of my first ministry internships, I wasn't very good. I was kind of focused on the wrong things. I I really enjoyed the play aspect of youth ministry. Um, And the the teaching and mentorship side wasn't as much of a priority for me as it should have been. And I had this incredible boss who I'm so grateful for. And he just kept mentoring me and loving me and encouraging me. And years later, I would actually go back to serve under him full time. That was my previous position, was getting to work for this man who had mentored and coached me when I was a little half-hearted, a little divided-hearted. He didn't keep thinking of me as my younger self. He didn't keep thinking of me as that screw-up that's not worth having along. He encouraged and allowed for me to grow. Who do you need to encourage? Who do you need to allow to grow? When we open our minds to the possibility um, that individuals can grow, we may actually be a part of a bigger ministry than we could ever imagine. This Mark, he wrote the gospel of Mark. He has no small impact on the world, right? Like, one of our gospels comes from him. In fact, his gospel is thought to be quoted in the other, in two other gospels. Like, he's one of the first gospel writers. This is a lasting contribution to the Christian faith for which you and I are beneficiaries of 2,000 years later because Barnabas didn't give up on him. Don't give up on people. And if you're giving up on yourself, repent. It's not too late for you. It's not too late for that person who you want to dismiss, Find somebody to encourage you and love on you. Paul invested in Timothy, and he became a great leader. Barnabas invested in Mark, and he became a great leader. Who are you called to invest in? Who should be investing in you? And I'm not just talking to, like, the adults. Like, we have middle school and elementary school age boys up here. There's, there's young kids here. One of my favorite people is Eli Carlson, because Eli Carlson loves my son so well. The very first time that we met anybody at the church, Eli and my son just made this amazing connection, and my son looks forward to seeing Eli all the time. Eli is being mentored and encouraged by his father uh, and by other men in our church, and Eli already is encouraging my son. I would love for my son to be just like Eli. Such an encouragement to me to see him. So no matter how young you are, if you're understanding my words, there's somebody younger than you who you can encourage and disciple. So in his final months, Paul, he's an inspiration. He's sitting in jail. He's gonna die. And he's calling together his team. He's sending team members out on a gospel mission. He's he's focused. He's not sitting there like throwing a pity party. He's not going like, oh, woe is me, I'm about to die. He's focused. But he does have a couple of personal requests. He says this, when you come, bring the cloak that I left and also the books and above all the parchments. So why is he asking for this? the cloak. Winter's coming, he's going to be really cold. And if he freezes to death before Rome has a chance to kill him, he's not going to be a very effective minister. So he's asking for a cloak so that he can continue doing on ministry. And then these books and parchments that he's asking for, they're likely the Old Testament. They're pieces of the Old Testament, they're early writings, they might even be some of his writings that he wants to use as he's continuing his ministry. So even in asking things for himself, he's, he's focused on his work. He's focused on the, on the ministry. While Paul writes this. He he keeps going. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. So now we're going back into another instance of betrayal. And he's saying the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Ouch. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. So Paul writes the gospel partners. He addresses the hurt of being betrayed by a former uh, partner. And now he's writing about hurt again with Alexander. We first hear of Alexander in 1 Timothy, and there we discover that he's someone who has actually rejected the faith. In fact, Paul describes it as a shipwreck. Uh, and Paul took steps to discipline him. Paul did what he needed to do. This discipline wasn't meant to, like, you know, say, you're bad, go on time out. This was a discipline that was meant to bring him back into the fold, to encourage him to walk with the church anew. But instead, what Alexander does is he actually becomes an opponent of the gospel. He becomes an opponent of the church. It's one thing to have someone desert you. It's another thing to have somebody undermine your ministry. That's really painful. And as pain continues, as Paul writes, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. I want you to remember that as Paul's writing this, he's writing from a place of hurt. Paul's writing from a place of hurt, but he's not writing from a place of of victimhood. He's not whining. He's not complaining here. The close of 2 Timothy has individuals who are of great help. Paul is calling Timothy to faithfulness. Don't be like Alexander. Don't be like Demas. Be like me. As I am like Christ. Be like Barnabas. Be like Mark. Be faithful. Be faithful. And here we see the hope. Paul writes this. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me in my pain, in my sense of betrayal. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul's focus is on the gospel. I'm doing all of this. I'm going through all of this for the Lord's glory. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Listen to that. The Lord will rescue me and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Oftentimes we want to run from pain the way Demas runs from pain. Like seriously being locked up, thrown in prison, like likely facing death. No, thank you. I'll go where it's easier. But Paul, he doesn't look to the Lord Jesus for his current safety, his current comfort. He's looking to the Lord Jesus for his eternal safety, his eternal comfort, his internal joy. Paul's heart isn't divided. Paul's heart is on the Lord Jesus. Paul might be stoned, he might be shipwrecked, he might be imprisoned, he might be beheaded, but ultimately he is safe with Jesus. Paul's not living for himself, he's living for the Lord. And it was the Lord not Paul, who was the primary force behind Paul's ministry. He didn't do this on his own. Paul only achieved what he did because he was called to by God and because God was on the move in his life and through him. And Paul reminds Timothy of this because this is what's most important. This is the close of the letter. Who would blame Timothy if he read all of this and was like, no thanks. I think I'll serve with Demas. No. Timothy is called to go to Paul with his heart focused on the right thing. He's not called to avoid suffering. He's called to trust that God will do what he wants to do with his life, that God will be glorified if he lives or dies, that he's called to find his strength in God's power and purposes. Timothy is being called to step out in faith and to do what the Lord has for him to do, which is to encourage Paul, to encourage others and point them to Jesus. You and I, we are called to step out in faith as well. We are called to come together that we might strengthen each other's faith. If you think you can be a Christian by yourself, you have missed the message of the Bible. Every Christmas we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. We are supposed to be together, worshiping the Lord Jesus. And this is how this letter ends. Paul's sitting in prison, facing death. His focus is on the mission, even at the end of his life. There is ministry to be had in Rome, and that's what he's focusing on. He's persevering, and he's calling us to persevere as well, that we might stay on track. You can lock Paul up, but like a superhero, he's not giving up. He's calling together his team. Come to me quickly. One of my favorite moments in the MCU uh, is when Thanos looks sure of a victory, right? Like Thanos, he's a big bad guy. And suddenly, all of these portals open up right around the time when, like, our main heroes, they're just, like, super defeated. Like, meh, like, Captain America, things don't look great for you. And all of a sudden, these portals open up. I, I, I don't remember exactly, but I'm sure because they're portals that it must be uh, Dr. Strange. Anyways, so popping out of these portals, we have Wakandans, we have Asgardians, we have all kinds of different aliens, and they're all gathering together. And then, Captain America, he calls out, Avengers, assemble, <laughs> I got like chills, right? Like, ooh, it's like one of those powerful lines. Like, Avengers Assemble. From the small glimpse of my experience of the Billy Graham rally as a child, I know that thousands were involved in that ministry. We know that hundreds were involved in Paul's ministry. But what powers Paul, what powered Billy Graham's ministries? It's the Lord Jesus who calls us all together. It's the Lord Jesus. This is how Paul ends the last line of this book. He says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. What a beautiful message of love. Timothy, all these things I've called you to, the people I've called you to encourage, the people I've been called you to serve, the difficult things I've asked of you, I don't ask you to do it on your own power. I ask you to do it with the spirit of the Lord working in your life. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, you've called us together. Here, Paul writes to Timothy, and he's, he's gathering his team. And they are a team that's focused on spreading the gospel, planting churches all throughout the Mediterranean. And Lord, I know that you have called people here together in this room to be a part of what you would do through this church and this community, in this neighborhood. And Lord, in order for us to be healthy and to be able to serve, we need to be leaning on each other. We need to be encouraging one another the way that you're offering encouragement to to Paul. The way that Barnabas encouraged Mark. Lord, may this church be a place where people are encouraged in ministry. Encouraged in faithfulness. That we might serve empowered by you, united for your glory. In your name I pray. Amen.